Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are in the fourth and final Sunday of this Advent season. Advent is actually the beginning of the church calendar because we as Christians start out in a posture of waiting, of longing, of anticipation prior to the day which is coming tomorrow when we celebrate the birth of Christ. Advent means coming or arrival and we look back to the coming of Christ as the baby 2,000 plus years ago and we also look forward with when Christ will come again Again, and we, we pulled both of those advents together um, as people following the way of Jesus during this Christmas time of year. So we've been uh, talking, as you heard during the lighting, the advent typically focuses on four themes, peace, hope, joy, and love. And this year, we've been sort of exploring those themes through the words spoken by various participants in the nativity story. So we've been in Luke's gospel, talking a lot about uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Mary. And today we're going to shift into Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, now looking more from Joseph's point of view a little bit. So we notice when we look at these two Gospels, Gospels are the written accounts of the life and earthly ministry of Jesus. There's four of them in the Bible, and two of them start with the birth story, when Christ was born. But interestingly enough, both Luke and Matthew, when they start at the birth story, actually back it up from prior to Jesus, prior to Mary and Joseph even. So Luke, we know, starts with backing it up to the miraculous birth of Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, the one who was going to fulfill the prophecy that was promised to go before the coming Messiah, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what the angel said about John the Baptist. So Luke backs up to that miraculous birth story. Matthew goes way further back when he starts out his gospel account. He actually starts about the life of Jesus 42 generations back with a lineage that if we're honest, most of us skip over and we go to the part where we start to hear about Joseph. But it's actually fascinating. He traces Jesus's family tree back 42 generations. For both of these writers, both Luke and Matthew, it's incredibly important to place Jesus within the the backing up and placing within the larger story of God, putting Jesus in a bigger lineage of promise that the faithful Jews had been clinging to and waiting for for so, so long. And so today, when we talk about love, we're going to hear it and the promise written by Matthew as he quotes Isaiah. He's now spoken over this this baby who is to come. And the prophet Isaiah said, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's interesting if you think through this lineage concept and uh, the whole story, placing Jesus into a story. I was thinking about how it is that we in different cultures tend to introduce ourselves. I wanted to make sure I wasn't making this up because I remember hearing the difference culturally before, but I couldn't cite my source. So I went on to the World Wide Web to try to find my source again. And lo and behold, I found this site that was designed to teach newcomers to America some of our core core values so they could understand our actions based on these core American values, how that impacts the way we might do things like introduce ourselves. Some of the top listed values on this site, independence, 
self-reliance, individualism, privacy, these things top the list. So for example, you wouldn't be surprised if we were just meeting and I introduced myself and I started with things like my name, my job, maybe my education, who lives with me, where I live, things like that. That would be the normal way for me to introduce myself. But it would be like a mini bio on me. But to Jewish people in this ancient Near East culture, to the people of God, they would identify themselves by their family tree. It would be maybe as strange to you if I, hi Rosalie, it would be maybe as strange to you if I introduced myself this way, said, yes, I am daughter of Bill of Toledo of the Mun clan. You'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't know those people. Who's from Toledo anyway? Like it would just be a strange way for me to introduce myself. But that's what's happening here. And that's why it might be strange and we might gloss over this uh, genealogy, this family tree that Matthew starts with. But to these people, the humble entrance into the world of Jesus starts by locating him in the story of God, going 42 generations back, the relatives of the past, the stories that would have evoked just with a name, so much history and knowledge by people who knew their ancient scriptures. And the prophecies that people had heard all through the time, they would be linked to these stories along the way. And so now they're seeing what is happening here is a fulfillment of 42 generations plus of promise. And we're now seeing it happen through this birth narrative. So we see today Joseph, who's engaged to marry. uh, An engagement was a legally binding um, arrangement in this culture. And so here they call him husband already. You you would be legally, this is a legal binding. This isn't like a relational status change. It's actually, well it is, but it is actually a legally binding agreement at the point of engagement. And so he was engaged to marry. And Mary is saying, yes, I'm pregnant, but it's a miracle. And I still am a virgin. It was the Holy Spirit pregnant by the will of God. So he pick up in Joseph's, um, from Joseph's point of view in Matthew 1.19. We learn that Joseph was faithful to the law, also translated sometimes a just man or a righteous man. But he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. We see their compassion, despite the perceived disgrace that this would have been to him, that his uh, fiance, soon to be wife, is pregnant. So he would have been humiliated by this, and yet he was compassionate enough to decide to divorce her or break the agreement quietly. And then what we read today, the angel visits Joseph in a dream, which the angel will do multiple times throughout Joseph's life as he is um, guiding this raising up of this young Jesus. We'll see that to keep this family safe. The angel does this multiple times. But the angel comes and assures Joseph that Mary's story is true. She's not making it up. This will be the son of God and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us as the prophets have promised. And it's coming true. And Mary and Joseph together as a couple now have an amazing role to play in the Messiah's life and upbringing. These two have been chosen by God and entrusted with an incredible responsibility. And they both know, they're both faithful, right? We've heard this on both of their stories. They know the stories and they choose to say yes. So putting together Matthew and Luke's accounts, let's take the story and just to sit in the story. It's Christmas Eve. We need to just know the story and sit in it again. So Mary and Joseph, both were faithful Jews. The region where they lived, they were not from um, a wealthy area at all, by the way. And so they were sort of like nobodies, just humble, but 
righteous and know people who knew um, God's word. The region where they lived was actually under Roman rule at this time. And so Caesar Augustus wanted to take a census. So Caesar Augustus has... Um, was known, he had a, a reputation in history elsewhere, even outside of the Bible, being as harsh and unrelenting as a Roman ruler, but he was a master administrator and he restored order to the empire after two decades of civil war. And so as this master administrator, he needed to know who and what resources he had at his disposal in this this area that he was ruling. And so therefore, he took several censuses. I actually don't know the plural of census. He did a census multiple times. And these would be incredible feats of administration to do. And so in order to get everything organized, but you need to know for military service or taxation, who do we have? So in order to organize this blessed census, it would be really hard undertaking. Everyone had to go to their ancestral town. We need some kind of order for groups of people who may have moved around. And therefore Joseph had to go to his ancestral town of Bethlehem, leaving Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. And pregnant Mary now went along with him. She is now grafted into his family lineage. And so the two of them travel there because Joseph has um, decided to go ahead and take her as a wife, according to what the angel said. By the way, in their culture, by law and just by social standards, it would have been completely normal or acceptable for Joseph to divorce Mary at this point. So the fact that he chose not to is beautiful, not only to show his compassionate side, but to so know that he trusted that word of the Lord and he knew where they fit into the story as soon as he heard that angelic announcement. And so it's really beautiful to remember that. So anyway, so here they go and they're travelers forced into travel. This is not a choice of theirs. They have to go because of Rome rule, which they probably weren't a big fan of to begin with. So they're forced travelers to a town that is overrun with visitors because people from all over the area had to go back to this ancestral town. So you get the image that Bethlehem is kind of bursting at the seams because there's no guest room available. That's not like a hotel. It's like there's no, there would sometimes be spaces where travelers could rest, but very likely in the culture of of radical hospitality. No family member would turn away this very pregnant, I think Chloe was a great pick today for our scripture reading, but a very pregnant Mary. This is a relative. You would not turn her away, but they were so full. There was no room, uh, guest rooms left, and Mary goes into labor. Just think about this for a minute. She's the new in-law on the scene. She's with a group of in-laws. Perhaps, how many people does she even know in that house except for Joseph? Were there other women from his family to support her? I like to think so, but they would have probably been strangers to her, I think. Or maybe it was just her and Joseph. We don't really know. But think about that vulnerable moment. You guys, these two at this point, they have come together in the agreement of marriage, but they do not even know each other intimately yet. And if you've ever been in a birth room, that is a very intimate moment. They're meeting each other in this most intimate human experience in this moment, surrounded by strangers in a non-guest room. Just think about this. There's, you see in this picture, vulnerable, tender, intimate moment in a humble spot where animals are typically kept. Emmanuel, God with us, enters the scene. 
a baby, this epitome, a baby is an epitome of vulnerability and humbleness. I think I have an image of a historical home, what it would look like. This is, in my opinion, I cannot prove this, most likely, a lot of scholars agree, the kind of space where they would have given birth to Jesus. In the home, the living quarters were upstairs, and at night, the animals would be brought into the downstairs area. So with no guest room, Mary and Joseph would be down with the animals, giving birth to this most humble obscure spot to this baby Jesus. And think about this. Like baby Jesus would have been a baby like any other baby born, completely reliant on these two parents for food, for warmth, for nourishing, care, cleaning, everything, completely reliant. All that the prophets foretold now is coming to pass in a helpless, squirmy, born in obscurity baby boy. And this image is God with us. The angels have also come and told the shepherds, again, opposite side of the social spectrum from the religious leaders who would have thought the announcement would have come to them first. Opposite end of the religious leaders would be shepherds. And they are the first ones to hear. And they become the first eyewitnesses to confirm that this event has happened. This good news is happening. Imagine joining them in coming to this humble spot and seeing this intimate scene. Never mind the glowing halos and the flowing robes of Renaissance art. The scene that you peek in on looks nothing like any of that, as lovely as it is. It's not historically accurate. How does it feel to stare with fresh wonder at the great reversal that's been heralded in by way of shepherds and that is born on the floor with straw and animals surrounding him, this little baby? Stare afresh at the reality of this baby who now, in this humble and needy way, is born and called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace according to Isaiah 9, 6. All of these high titles to this little baby in a straw manger? And you might stop and say, okay, Melissa, I get it, but like every great leader has to be born at some point, and then they grow up and they become a great leader later. Everyone has to be a helpless baby first. God doesn't. God doesn't have to anything. God did not need to do it this way, God chose to come into the world this way. This was God's choice. And in Emmanuel, God with us, God chose to be born into humanity with all of the body fluids and hunger and discomfort and skinned knees and messy emotions and all of it. God chose to come into that way to be God with us. So this familiar Christmas scene that we see as we set up our nativity sets, that is very familiar. It is sweet, but it's mainly powerful. It's mainly history changing in the expression of what this means for God's love, the love of God. How far would God go to redeem humanity? The answer is right to the center of the mess, the beauty, the pain, the humanness that is not yet redeemed is exactly where God chose to go. And you, us, we, we are worth that kind of messy entrance of God with us. 
The story goes on to show how very not sanitized and sweet it is. No tidy flowing robes and halos here. As the story goes on, we hear that magi from the east follow signs that they've seen in the sky. These people are so curious to me. I, we don't, there's so much we don't know. First of all, we have no reason to think there's three of them. They had three gifts, but there could have been any quantity of magi who were watching the sky for signs. They knew all kinds of ancient scriptures. They knew something was happening. They saw the signs. They came to worship this king of the Jews. They enter and say, where is the one who's been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. I'm going to read directly out of scripture this next part as we continue, as we consider what continues on after the actual birth. When they had gone, oh, so I should back up for just a second. King Herod was like, yeah, I want to know about it too. Come back and tell me all about it when you find him. And they were like, warning alert. And so they went a different route. They figured that King Herod was up to no good and they were right. So when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. There's the angel helping and providing and directing this young couple again. Get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You guys, this is a story that includes a horrific act of genocide. This is a story that includes power dynamics that are so scary in this region. This is a story that includes this young couple fleeing from everyone they knew, even these in-laws they had just met, and having to go to a foreign country. And their provision when there most likely was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I have to believe that was God's provision for them when they were not able to know anybody or have an in-law's home to go to and knock on the door and ask to stay. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and the trust that they had that God God would continue to provide, continue to lead them. And this is the story of a baby born into that kind of vicious, hateful power dynamic world that included the, this, this awful event in Bethlehem after they left. I just can't, I, I, you have to see this animosity, violence, and power hunger into that God entered to be with us, with us in it. This is the love of God expressed beyond words in the coming of his son, Emmanuel. And this baby that the art has up over here, and this baby is God choosing to be born right into it and to be among us. In one of the many Advent devotionals that I've been reading this year, trying to keep familiar stories fresh and um, moving every year, it, the story is so beautiful, but sometimes I like to use other voices to hear um, nuance in it. And I was reading Scott Erickson's Humble Advent, and he writes this, we find a humble servant wrapped in human vulnerability who is obedient to that vulnerability all the way to death 
even if it happens to be death on a cross. Jesus is mighty not because of his capacity to overcome hardship, but because of his willingness to go through human hardship like we have to do. It is this compassionate empathy that has the power to transform the human heart. This is powerful, compassionate empathy that would be God's self going in to infant vulnerability. Perhaps one of the most uh, well-known Bible verses, the first one I ever memorized because I got a gumball for doing so, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. John, in another letter, 1 John, goes on to explain this statement even more, that this, this act is the epitome of God's love. So I'm going to read these words, and I want you guys to consider the act of love that is God entering into that mess. Hear these words. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so this morning, I don't have a big pastoral exhortation or newsflash. This is the story we all know. I just want us to see it with a little bit more reality than the halos and flowing robes. I want us to see the humility, the the grittiness, and the extremeness of the violence surrounding this narrative, the scariness for first-time mom Mary, for the unknown of Joseph, who keeps being told what to do in dreams and getting up and doing it. That's how they made their way back from Egypt later as well. Faithful Joseph, just think through the eyes of the people in this story and see that this image, this infant in a manger is God's amazing love. So as we wrap our gifts, as we open our gifts, as we share gifts, I think of that delightful moment. You know when you've gotten a gift for somebody and you're so excited for them to open it and you get so much delight in that moment just before the wrapping paper comes off? Think about in that moment tomorrow perhaps, pause to think of God's greatest gift to us, that God would come to be with us in a way that truly changes history. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.